Everything I know about Burger Chef, I know from Mad Men. Is that right? There was like a whole season about like the big Burger Chef pitch. No way. I swear. Oh my God. I know. Is that crazy? That's so wild. But like typical of me. <laughs> totally. It's my point of reference for something in the 60s is Mad Men. Hi, Jillian Pensavalli. Hello, Patrick Hines. Hey, fam. I just kicked off my book party tour like last week. It's wild. It's going so great. I'm so glad. Listen, if you're listening to this on the day this comes out, I'm coming to Philadelphia this Thursday, February 2nd at 7 o'clock. And I'm coming to D.C. on Saturday, February 4th, which is like this upcoming weekend. Fantastic. Come and see me. There's still a few tickets left. So come, come, come. We're having the best time. We're dancing. We're doing the whole thing. Well, I'm congratulations doing on all book- this. Thank you. Oh, and we've got like fun book merch. It's crazy. Oh, my God. I love book merch. I, I love books. I love book merch. I love you. I love it. And also, film come see us at Obsessed Fest. Oh, yeah, October. October 20th to the 22nd in Dallas. Those tickets are selling, selling, selling. Selling. It's going to be, so we're doing, like, panels and meet-up and meet-and-greets. And, and we're shows. bringing in all these, like, cool freaking guests yeah. to talk about, like, the JFK conspiracy theories. We're doing cult stuff this year like we didn't do last year. Excuse me! I know, it's going to be so wild. Oh, that's great. Tell them about the Patreon. Oh, yeah, so on the Patreon, we do that thing where you get ad-free versions of these episodes that yeah. you're hearing right now on the regular feed. And also series with a lot of episodes. So, like, yeah. The Jinx and The Vow and Tiger King and... And we just did, uh, like, Bad Vegan. The Staircase and Serial Season 1 yeah. and Heaven's Gate. Did you say that one? Uh, no, but sure. There's um, tons of cults on there. There's Finding Andrea. Oh, my goodness. Remember? The Lacey Peterson thing. Yeah. The, the Gacy, Gacy thing, thing on Peacock. Peacock. <laughs> that was, like, six apps. So much, like, there's after parties. Anyway, it's just fun. It's Come, so fun. If you want more of us, yeah. it's just sort of unending over it's there. It's a party. And we also, yeah, AMAs, did you say that? Yeah, and okay, we great. give advice sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> Yep. That's totally all. harmless advice. I know. To totally the fake drunk advice. Yeah. Like totally. we're we're not actually drunk when we're giving you the advice, right. but our hearts are very real and big for In you. In the right but place. But I'm talking too much. <laughs> I'm talking too much. Let's record two episodes of a podcast yes. and see what happens. Let's do it. All right, girl, what are we talking about today? We are talking about murders at the burger joint on Discovery Plus about the burger chef murders. Yeah. It's this all-American group of kids working at a burger shop, and they are all killed brutally in the woods. Imagine, what type of torture did they go through? That'd be pure terror. It's one of the state's most infamous crimes, the kidnapping and killing of four burger chef workers in Speedway. If I knew what the hell was going on that night, I would have walked over here and got involved. I probably would have got shot and killed. There's one gentleman that I think has a big secret, and I think he knows what happened. Can I just say right at the top, just to set the scene, this documentary opens with them plopping an like a thinly sliced all beef patty on one of those disgusting diner griddles. Uh-huh. Never have I wanted to be a vegetarian more than looking at that. Why is my mouth watering? I know. Is it an impossible? <laughs> I don't know. Do you you eat meat, right? I try not to. Okay. But yeah, if it's an impossible, I'll you put I'll away a it. chicken wing or two. Of course. I said I try not to. Okay. That was a long time ago, by the way. I know. That's chicken wing. Sorry, I got my foot stuck in something. <laughs> You've been like, you're looking at the I'm camera and you're trying so hard to be discreet about I'm it. Sorry. What happened? That stupid thing that I don't use, <laughs> that thing that, that like, the thing that you're using for your computer that I don't, that stand <laughs> that I don't use was just like here. <laughs> I gotta tell to, like, you. crawl up my leg or something. The- I didn't like it. 
those like the they raise up the laptops so you can like they're am, stands. Yeah. yeah. Am I old or tall? I don't know what the deal. Why do no, I? No, I don't know. There's probably some horrible medical reason that I don't use it. My <laughs> eyes are probably gonna drop out of my face or something uh, because uh, of the angle. <laughs> I also noticed, did you see that Jan Brady was here? No. So there's an old commercial, a Burger Chef commercial from the 70s. She's in that? Eve Plum, a.k.a. Jan Brady. Let me tell you, one time I had tea with her. She came over. Excuse me? She came over. So she is a friend of a friend. She's a friend of my friend Daisy Egan's. Oh. The host of Strange and Unexplained. Our friend Daisy Egan, Our friend Daisy Egan and Eve Plum are friends. They did a play together. No And so we were having tea at my friend's house. Yeah. You know my friend who makes those like fancy teas? Of course I do. When he found out that she was friends with Eve Plum, he was like, get her over here. And she came. Those teas. I know. Eve so Plum came over and like didn't have tea. She had like fucking espresso or whatever. Eve oh, Plum. okay. Do you know she's an artist? <laughs> you can buy her oil paintings. Oh my God. Did you know I that know. she's a commercial actor <laughs> that one time in the 70s? And also Jan fucking Brady? I got to tell you though, these Burger Chef ads are so wholesome. I literally wrote, like, it really did used to be a simpler time. Open wide, America. Burger Chef's got big, juicy, terrific burgers for you. 100% all beef. We learn about, they like kind of talk about the Mad Men ads because the, the yeah. pitch, like the ad that we see is like Burger Chef goes all out to please your family. And the in the Mad Men episode that I'm sure I'll stop talking about one of these days <laughs> is where it's like, yeah, like every table here is the family table. And the pitch line was there may be chaos at home, but there's family supper at Burger Chef. Oh my goodness. I love that there's like a housewife with like a little thought bubble that says it's chaos down here, Tom. Yeah, well, Vietnam yeah. is what they were <laughs> referencing. <laughs> so they're like, it's chaos out there, but oh, like it's, it's it. like, you know, family supper at Burger Chef. Anyway, Jim Kramer is here. He's the lead detective, not the dude who screams about your money at you. Yes. Oh not my him. God. What was that show called? I don't know. Wild Money I'm or something. about things. He was so weird. He screamed a lot. Yeah. Yelly money. Totally. We'll screaming leave the yelly yelling money. in media to me. Thank okay, you, Jim please. Kramer. Yeah. He's nuts. They're nuts. They know nothing. We also, at this point, we see another Burger Chef commercial with a bunch of like dancing burgers. Because they had the very first Happy Meal. <laughs> I, Which is wild. And I want to get to that in a second. But the things actors will do. Oh. Like these people, they were grown adults dressed uh-huh. as burgers in tights and yes. everything. Let me tell you, that's why when Mike and I were like auditioning for commercials in New York City, that's why we made our web series The Residuals. Uh-huh. Because we would go on these auditions and being like, why are we doing this to ourselves? What? And like sit in the, and I remember sitting in the waiting room texting him and just, he's like, I have to, I'm a writer now. I have to start writing the series because it is so insane and a lot oh of almost God. all of the all of the auditions are based on real life in that show but it is kind of like it, it can be so demeaning I mean it's it's only demeaning that's the only way you can describe it because you it. know they didn't have the burger thing so they're like pretend you're a burger <laughs> look like a burger dance like a burger <laughs> jump around do it more and then they don't look at you all right, pretend there's uh, fries jumping around, too. Yeah, all right, don't call us, we'll call you. Like, God. Oh, my God. Well, we learned, too, that... Burger Chef geared some of their marketing towards kids to bring their parents in, of course, too. Burger Chef had the first Happy Meal. They had cartoon characters, Burger Chef and Jeff. What's a fun burger? Well, it's a delicious burger with a smile on the wrapper and a prize inside. Incredible. <laughs> it's in... <laughs> Incredible. Incredible. I wrote it down in all caps. Incredible. It's incredible, Bob. Yeah. Is that the? I guess that's the best they could have done. I Incredible. guess. Incredible. I mean, let's go another way. You all know right. What I mean? Says you, Liberty. <laughs> you can't talk shit about any of this. Am I a burger, Liberty? I guess, Here we I, go. If that helps you. Here we go. Brian is a former employee, and he, God damn it, he misses the food to this day. He I, goes, <laughs> they were up there with McDonald's. They were that good. They were that good. He goes, I loved their food. I miss it to this day. 
simpler time. When you, nothing really gets me going more than a oh. finger wag from you. <laughs> when you give me one of those real emphatic finger wags, mm. we're really onto something. Because Brian's like, don't get it twisted. They were, they were. I big. know, they and, were I, and I gotta tell you, like, they really, it looks delicious. They like, can the hang whole with time. McDonald's. I know the best of them. And I, we don't have time for it now. But okay. like, the thing about McDonald's, like, I love a thin burger. I hate these like thick, like these like pound burger. Who wants that? A lot of people want. That's it. That's disgusting. Yeah, they go down easy. The smaller ones. Yeah, no. <laughs> That's why you like, have a lot of them. When I was like, you know, ten, and we would yeah. go to McDonald's, my mom would get me like two of the double cheeseburger. That's meals. why you can eat like ten White Castle burgers <laughs> in one sitting. <laughs> that's why I've I heard. That's why I wasn't great at sports <laughs> in middle and high school. Too too busy having the double. Oh man, double cheeseburger meal. <laughs> Yeah. But Brian was, he was 17 and shy. And we see a picture of him at the time. I love these pictures of these people from the 70s. I know. Because he looks like he's 50. He's like, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm 17 years old. He looks like a mid-level manager. He's like, ah, oh, that was a good year. I know. 16. But he's the one who tells us that at the time there was over a thousand Burger Chef restaurants in the 70s. Yeah. Never heard of this company. I had only because of Mad Men. That's so wild. Yeah. So we meet a couple of podcasters, Anya and Kevin. They're kind of like looking into this case. Yeah. And they say they're eventually going to wrap up their coverage of the Burger Chef murders and continue with other restaurant-related homicides for the rest of season one. Jesus Christ. I mean, how many of those are there? Too many. I can't. Well, I guess this one, one is too many, many honestly. But you're really... going to do like a whole season of a podcast and we learn later it's all fast food murders and they, they call them mass murders. This is so not... So it's like fast food mass murders. This world is terrifying. It, it's not good. There are things like that when you're like, that is possible to yes. do. I'm now terrified. I know. Thanks. There are so many we're going to do a whole season about it. Right. But we're in speed Speedway, Indianapolis. Yes. And it's not the best area, as we learn. Speedway in 1978 had the facade of being just a casual small town on the edge of Indianapolis. The reality was a bit darker. There were chop shop rings. There were a lot of drugs moving through the area. So while the surface was very placid and nice and small town Americana, there was actually quite a lot of crime going on. There's like a lot of crime happening behind the scenes. Yeah. So wait, I just got to say one of these podcasters tells us that when he was growing up, he wasn't allowed to eat at Burger Chef because the rumor on the street was that the burgers were made out of worms <laughs> and his parents straight up believed it. I didn't hear that in this episode. You, I, to I totally missed it. It took a whole detour because he convinces his parents to let him go in and buy one of those Happy Meals <laughs> with the worm burger yeah. because they're giving away free Star Wars posters. Oh, okay. And <laughs> so his parents let him get the free poster that they make him throw away the meal. And I was like, there's too much here to unpack. There's too much here. How wait? I know. Well, that, but like America's fascination with Star Wars. Are we going to do this? In the 70s? I'm or certainly today. not. No, you know no, what no. I mean? People fucking love Star Wars. They love it. And you know what? That's great. It's I, just, it's it? so far gone now I that know. I can't, as a new person, If even if I wanted to get into it, I have plenty of things. My hyperfixation, <laughs> my ADHD is out of control. I'm, too, I'm in love with too many things. But even if I wanted to, it's too much now. Yeah. Got to go all the way back to the 70s? Come I, on. Yeah. It's a movie every year. <laughs> so now we meet a guy named Alan. Alan Pruitt. Dude, I was a grease monkey at the age of 10. <laughs> I wrote this guy's a real character. Ugh. He's definitely smoking inside. I thought he was just here to be a bit of like scene dressing. You know what I mean? I thought uh -huh. he was just here to be- Chewing the scenery? Yeah, what's the thing? Making when, a meal of it? You no, know, when you're try, when you're like, when you're there for like the color. He was there to be oh. like the color. Okay. But no, he's like serves a real purpose eventually. Or does he? <laughs> or does he? Talk about an unreliable narrator. Yes. This guy's all over the map, but he was friends with Jane Freet. He says they were friends, but she was also the manager at Burger Chef. He tells the story about how he loved to like do donuts in the parking uh. lot of the Burger Chef where she worked. Back in 1978, you know, I was just hell on wheels. I used to do burnouts around the burger shift. 
Jane Freep, my friend, would get so upset because there'd be so much smoke rolling off the rear tires. She'd open the little serve window, give me the finger, don't you do that no more. And I'd be lapping my butt off. In front of the drive-thru. <laughs> and she's like, can you not do this? <laughs> they were not friends. They were not friends at all. <laughs> if, Jane, if I were talking to Jane, she'd be like, oh, that Alan guy right. fucking smoking? <laughs> like... And the fumes and everything. People are trying to get their delicious burger, chef. I know. People, what is the point of that? You're just ruining your they're tires, right? They're incredible or whatever. Incredible. Alan, I <laughs> trying to run a business here, brah. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think this is a White Castle? Don't talk shit about White Castle. <laughs> they're building it's a White Castle in the in like the ground level of our office building. Do you know how good it's gonna smell? <laughs> It's just, it's the nostalgia factor. I you can't. are such Queen's trash. I, I can't. <laughs> I can't. And the thing is, it's never made me like I don't know. I have a stomach of steel when it comes to White Castle is because that right? it's never. Everyone's like, "Oof!" Like, have fun later. And I'm like, I will eating my leftover White Castle. It's never done a thing to me. I love the idea that you would not completely finish a to go fast food meal. They're this big, the White Castle <laughs> burgers. <laughs> How many do you get in the sack? Like six. I th- I know the real the first. The like, if you got a number one, I think it's like four burgers, <laughs> you or something like. If you, what's if the you number just, three, Jillian? I don't know. <laughs> Filet o fish? No, wrong place. Um, but no, I know they have chicken ring and cheeses. <laughs> Look, I went to college in the Bronx, and there was a White Castle in the Bronx, and they're open twenty four hours. Oh so you do my the math. god. Now we meet Kirk Thompson, and he's a bus driver. I love Kirk. I love Kirk, I love too, Kirk. and he's a man of color, and he's here to tell us. Speedway in 7 and 8, I consider it a very redneck town. We didn't have too many African Americans in the city. Speedway, to me, was racist. This town Speedway was super fucking racist. Yeah, he's like, oh, no, no, there were, like, no people of color. There yeah. was hardly any black people. He's a black guy. He's like, the yeah. cops were racist. The cops were corrupt. The town was corrupt. Any more questions? And I, too much, I say, Kirk, yes, he's in a, he, I don't know where he is. I know. But he's surrounded by, like, old pinball machines. I know. And it looks like a very cool, maybe divey bar, but I don't know. That's, I just, I think it's like a great place to sit and chat. He's going to introduce us to his mother in a little oh. while, and he introduces us as yes, Mrs. Thompson. Yes, I have that in my notes, too. I was like, I, I love that. And she is. Do not do not fuck with her. I know. So we get to the night of the murders. It's November seventeenth, nineteen seventy eight. There's four employees working the night shift at the Speedway. One of the people working was Mark Flemons. Mm -hmm. He's also black. Yeah. And he was filling in for a girl. Remember that guy that we met early on? What was his name? Brian, who misses them to this day. The burgers to this day. He's the guy that looked like he was. He showed us a picture of when he was seventeen and he looked like forty five. Sure. So Brian, who misses the burgers to this day, is going on a date with someone who works at Burger Chef. Right. So she she was supposed to work that night. Right. So Mark is covering for Brian's date. Exactly. Thank you. You're welcome. I was way overcomplicated. I don't know what. <laughs> I don't know it's, like, it's very simple. <laughs> he also says that was the first date of his life. Yeah. And so Kirk, the bus driver, knows Mark. They're like really good friends. Yeah. And they're both black. And the only reason that's important is because Kirk says like, look, we had a plan to walk home together. I say, hey, man, will you walk home with me once you get off work? The speedway at night for a black man, that wasn't good. We was always together or with someone. It's about 11.30, quarter to 12. I'm like, well, I better mosey on across the parking lot there and 
get with my buddy so we can walk on home. So around 11.45, Kirk is waiting for Mark, and he's, like, walking through the Burger Chef parking lot looking for him. And then at the same time, the guy who still misses it to this day, what's his yeah, name? Yeah, Brian. Brian is driving by the Burger Chef. So Kirk and Brian, who are both here, are both, like, in the vicinity of the Burger Chef at the same time. Yeah. And things are weird. And it's weird because Brian, who's on a date, notices that Jane, who hates the smoke and the fumes yeah. in her drive-thru. The manager, yeah. Yeah, her car is missing. And I'm like, what an interesting thing to well, notice. Well, and he says he notices that because it's closing time. Yeah. Yeah. And she's the manager, so she should be there for closing. So, like, where's Jane's car? And it's like, you guys are on a date, and you're going to go back and help them close when you didn't even work? You know what? How fucking How nice, nice is that? Is and, like, that? Oh, you're not punching in for it. You're just probably getting a free burger just, out like, of it. Just, going to help? Uh, you know, where's the work ethic they gone? They make people like that. <laughs> you know who would do that? Me. Yeah. I would do that. Or on your day off, just have it be a day off and just, like, rest. Totally. And yeah. don't, like, work extra time. We work too much. To- <laughs> in this country. You're looking at me. I'm looking at everybody. <laughs> so like the Jane, the manager, like the lights were on but her car wasn't there and yeah. it was all very strange and like Kirk, the friend, had a really bad feeling. So at 12.02 a.m., Brian drops his date off at home and then he comes back around to Burger Chef to like check out the scene. Yeah, and like what's really interesting about this documentary is that the Burger Chef building is still there. It's empty. Yeah. There's nothing in it but like that we can actually see the space where all of this happened and he says like he sees lights coming from the back door like the employee entrance he goes in there's nobody there he says he checks everywhere he checked the walk-in he checks the freezer and like the door was cracked open too yeah. it's not like it was locked up so it's right. not like they didn't like clean up and close out and no. leave and lock yeah. up behind them like everything was sort of open and their coats are still there it's yeah. november i walk in the manager's office and first thing i noticed is the safe door is wide open all the dollar bills were gone so i called the police all the dollar bills are gone, so he calls the cops. Let's talk about the four kids who are now missing. Yes. So Jane, our assistant manager, she was super nice, very popular. I gotta slow down and say, I love that this documentary is only 42 minutes long, yeah. and I they really do spend time telling us about the we victims. We really get to know them a lot. And they do it creatively, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? It yeah. really is a very, it's very well done. Yeah. So Ruth Shelton, she's another employee, very smart, very funny. She wanted to be a computer programmer, and I'm like, in the 70s, that is so fucking cool. They didn't even exist yet. Ruth, she good was like, for you. Uh, but like how int- like I just love that like, she was like, super- I'm gonna go work on that thing that takes up a whole floor of a building. Yeah, <laughs> fuck yeah, Ruth, how cool is that? I, like I was that, like, Ruth. I loved it. I know, I know. Daniel Davis, another employee, he wanted to join the Air Force. He was yeah. very, very new to Burger Chef, and then our friend Mark Flemons, who was covering that shift, and his parents were very, very strict. Yeah, and one of the other people who we meet is Teresa, who's Ruth's sister, and she's kind of with us throughout as the voice for Ruth. Yeah. So these kids are missing, and I'm we're saying kids because they're all like in high school but they're different ages they're like teenagers yes so 16 hours missing and kirk the bus driver who's mark's friend he's like talking to the cops in the media he's like i was kind of like there around the time maybe shit went down he's being very forthcoming he's trying to be very helpful and guess what wouldn't you know it kirk is immediately treated like a suspect yeah i I mean it's just like the racism of it all right you know what i mean because then uh, depending on who you talk to like ruth's sister the theory was that the kids took the money and ran off to have a good time which is ridiculous and she's like they were all different ages they all went to different schools. They just worked together. They weren't all friends. They were just co-workers. And like took the probably $87 in cash they made that. You know what I mean? Come on. And there's no trace of them anywhere. Yeah, including the kid with the really strict parents. He was going to like get in all this trouble for what? Exactly. To hang out with Jane? I don't think so. Come on. Hey, they're all great kids. (laughs) But then here's the thing. Unfortunately, they allowed the other staff from the restaurant to come in and clean the restaurant. They let the restaurant open up the next day. There was no crime scene to be processed. It was devastating to this case. 
the restaurant opens up and it was scrubbed clean and like operational again, which means that there wasn't a crime scene. There was just a lot of miscommunication here because yeah. I don't know the chain of command or who tells who what. I've worked in a lot of restaurants yeah. for a lot of years and I can tell you with a fair amount of authority that if, if unless a police detective is coming in and saying, you can't, this is a crime scene, you can't do anything, the manager is like, gotta get the place up and running that day. You know uh-huh. what I mean? Like, so this happens a lot throughout this thing, but yeah. they, they scrubbed it clean. And, and I blame the cops for this. Yes. Because the cops are saying the kids are out like joyriding and spending the money and they're not saying like there's four missing kids, we need to fucking preserve the crime scene. And I know there wasn't DNA in the 70s, but wasn't there like police tape? Couldn't you put something up that says, please don't touch this? Exactly. A nice like, note? Exactly. Or something? Exactly. A nice note. Maybe it's just a firm <laughs> note. A strongly worded, firm, very clear note. But Detective Jim says this was devastating to the case. Right. So it's all over the news. Everyone is searching. Yeah. And by Sunday night, 36 hours later, the bodies are discovered 20 miles away. And it is a truly brutal crime scene. The crime scene is telling a little bit of a story mm-hmm. and we'll get more into this in a minute but it's not like they just came up upon like four bodies in the woods. There's a little bit more to it. We'll get to that in a second. Right. So we're back with Jim Kramer, not the guy who screams at you but the lead detective. <laughs> right. And his favorite dog Hank is here. I, I knew you were going to love this. Named after Hank Williams Sr. He's the best little dog in the world. That's a quote <laughs> from Detective Jim. I think they're all favorite dogs so the picking and choosing I'm yeah. not loving but look I got a name. <laughs> I have a little bit. I know a little bit about Hank Thank you. I yeah, feel yeah, yeah. like we're kind of buds. So that's all I needed. Thank you. Absolutely. Thanks for listening, Discovery Plus. I know. To all of my, my desperate pleas. They're like, you know, we're going to have to go back and reshoot that. Just, Jillian's not going to like this. I just, or, and the thing is, all I would take is a little lower third. I know. Or a little arrow. <laughs> but like, yeah. Jim introduced us to Hank. No, you got a lot of I'll information. Take I'll take it. But Jim. I was appointed to the Indiana State Police in 1972. I was promoted to sergeant. I spent most of my time from 1978 through uh, 86 involved with the Burger Chef investigation. Basically working on the Burger Chef murders and nothing else. Yeah, and he's convinced that more than one person was involved, right? Yes. Oh, we're back with those podcasters. GP, they're looking at microfiche. That's what microfiche is. Yes. That machine. Yeah. That thing. <sighs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, where like you feed it through and then you can see it blown up. And you say, wow, look at that old... Article. Right. Totally. From all that time ago. Now we have newspapers.com, so I don't know what they're doing there. <laughs> but they're really, we see them doing the microfiche quite a bit in this. Yeah, app. it does make a sound. I am not <sighs> wrong. Yeah. I'm just saying. So now we're at the crime scene and we learn a little more, like some more details about what happened. Yeah. The One of the big things we learn is that there's four dead kids and yeah. they were killed in three different ways. Yeah. That is, they're going to say that's going to tell a little bit of a story. So Danny Davis and Ruth Shelton were found together wearing yeah. their uniforms. They were shot, quote, execution style yeah. with 38 caliber bullets, but no shell casings and no gun. So not a lot of evidence to collect, right? Right. Jane, our manager, she was about 50 to 75 yards away. She was stabbed twice and the knife handle had snapped off. Which is just Which fucking is the, crazy. Yeah. This crime scene is like the stuff of nightmares. It's really terrible. And then Mark was found on his back with his feet bent under him. And they're saying it looks like somebody climbed on top of him and beat him to death. Right. And the point is that like he absolutely got the worst of it. He's also the only black kid here. Yes. But also Jane, her manner of death, the stabbing, they're yeah. also saying is described as intensely personal. Of course. So yeah. Danny and Ruth were shot, not as intimate a manner of doing it. And then yeah. Ruth and Mark, they're saying when you look at the actual crime scene, Mark and Jane's deaths both feel more personal. Mark died of blunt force trauma. Jane was knifed to death. When people see that, they think they were singled out on some level. Maybe one of them was the actual target. Yeah. So it just seems like there was a little bit more of a focus for the killers on Jane and Mark. Right. 
So Jane's car was found abandoned, but near the police station. Yeah. Can I just say, apropos of nothing, like the, it looks like such a cool car. Like yeah, that car, one you know, what I, old, it was yeah. one of those old like cars in the seventies. That I was an like, Oldsmobile. I don't know. It just told me something about Jane. A I was Volkswagen. like, I love this, this like seventies lady with her manager job and her cool car. I know. You know co- what I mean? She's got it going yeah, on. Yeah. Yeah. She's like got her life together. So there, guess what? No evidence of any kind anywhere. No one knows anything. The family and friends are absolutely devastated. Of course. Yeah. They say that like they think that there could be anywhere between one. One in three killers and that they were, quote, meticulous. I guess. I mean, how meticulous do you have to be to, like, just pick up the gun casings or whatever they're called? Right, to, like, drag four kids at gunpoint into the woods. But I'm like, like, tell me you collected, like, from her car, for example. Did you dust it for fingerprints? Or, like, their clothes or anything. Their clothes, knife handle. Fingernails. Yeah, like, I I understand we don't have DNA, but, like, we don't have nothing. Yeah. And they make it sound like they didn't collect any evidence of any kind. Yeah, and I don't think a a bunch of geniuses did this either. Yeah, yeah, Even though I don't necessarily believe the source of that information. But we'll get there. We'll get there. But now everyone shut up and pull the fuck over because Mrs. Victoria Thompson is here and she's Kirk's mom and he introduces her as Mrs. Thompson and I love that. And, and like, she, he's like, she's let like me, yeah, that's right. Let me introduce you to my mother. This is Mrs. Thompson. Oh. Yeah. If you had a hat on, you'd take it right I off. Know. You stand up when she enters the room. But the thing is, she seems very kind. I love her. Yeah. I think she's awesome. 100%. And so now Kirk is explaining, because they're together now, Kirk yeah. and his mom. I'm yeah. sorry. Kirk and Mrs. Thompson yes. are here. <laughs> Julian, yeah. you're going to get us all in trouble. I'm sorry. I don't want to be sent to my room or anything. I'm good with parents. I think yeah, she'd like that's me. True. And are. I corrected myself, it would be like a moment. She'd be like, she'd be like appreciate that I was like, nope, I heard what Well, you would have gotten the raised eyebrow. There's no question about that. Yeah. She wouldn't love the hair, I don't think, no. either. So Kurt is there with Mrs. Thompson and he's explaining yeah. how he was treated by the police. And he's being like a little more subtle about it than she is. Because uh-huh. he's like Indiana State Police had a lot of theories. They will ask me what type of person is Mark? Did Mark do drugs? Do you do drugs? They got to a point where, hey, can we take a lie detector test? I always felt that they tried to imply that I was lying. You know, the police, they wanted to hypnotize me, right? So they're making Mark this bad kid, but Kirk is also a suspect. Yeah. And they eventually asked Kirk to take a polygraph. Yeah. And he says, I always felt like they were trying to imply like I was lying. And at one point they even tried to hypnotize him. And that's when Mrs. Thompson is like, no, 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 no. They were trying to pin this on you. Yes. They kept trying to make you say that you were there because you actually went looking for your dear friend Mark. Right. And they were going to try to twist it to something else. And she basically says like, not on my watch. Like they're not going to blame my kid. And also Mrs. Thompson, it's a minor detail, but she says she has a friend who worked at the morgue where Mark's body was taken and she's like my friend told me the detail to which Mark was beaten like it was a brutal brutal killing yeah and then they sort of look at each other and they're like and we lived in a racist town so let's Exactly. Put it all together, please. It's not that hard. One of the things we learned, but again, like this just goes to the racism of it all, is that they're saying that it's potentially Mark was like the main subject of the, the reason for the murders. Yeah. And they say that it was, quote, reported locally that Mark may have been into drugs. His own father apparently says one time he found Mark in a house, quote, full of marijuana. No, bullshit. Bullshit. And also that there was like a newspaper report that Mark may have owed like up to $7,000 in says drug who? Says who? And they do this a couple times, these yeah. podcasters. I'm just going to say it. They sort of present it as fact and yeah. I'm like, show me any proof that anyone said this at all. At one exactly. point they're like, this one person said this one time and right. I'm like, that means nothing to me. Yeah. No, and it's like also call out the racism and they do. Like they they definitely make note that like it also could just be the racism of it all but then don't say it. You know what don't I mean? Don't say it because yeah. he wasn't full of marijuana no. or whatever. What was that? The quote full uh, of weed or whatever? No, it was like a house full of weed but I was also just like, who cares? Who cares? You know I mean? There's nothing to do with anything. Yeah. 
So we get this first big lead, and it's a guy. It's some witness, and he comes forward, and he says, hey, I was at Burger Chef. Two men came up to me and my girlfriend, and he gives a description of them. Now, (laughs) everyone pull over, because my nine-year-old's art class is about to make a project. The police, for some reason, make two what they describe as, quote, two lifelike clay busts of these composite drawings. The end result of releasing those was to have phone call after phone call after phone call. This went national news. It was definitely a media circus. Lifelike clay busts of the composite drawings from this witness. And they, now... They are terrifying. They are terrifying. And if this this was an Unsolved Mysteries production, they would be like the creepy music where they look like they're going to come to life. Like... They look like monsters, but they they also... They look nothing like they're not human. They don't look like... They look like Daisy's class was given a fucking brick of clay and said, go to, like, make make a picture of your dad. You know how sometimes Muppets look like humans? They don't look like a monster, like Elmo's a monster. And sometimes they look... They have, like, a face with a nose. That's what... This like that, like the weatherman from Sesame Street or yeah, whatever yeah, the yeah, weatherman yeah, yeah. Muppet looks more like a human being than this thing does. And like I just imagine that if I had been the guy tasked with like driving the clay bus to the press conference, right. I would be like, I'm back in the car with those things. And is it one that of those shit's things about to come to life? Right. Like, and was it dry or can someone say, Oh, don't smash the nose? <laughs> like, know. it's really gonna matter. <laughs> I know. With I the will curly say, hair. Like, come on. I will just say I made all these notes about how fake they all. They don't look like people. We're about to be like a person who one of them actually really looks. But like, like. but they're. Putting these things on the news. I know. know. Kids are having nightmares about this. It's true. And of course, the tips come flooding in nonstop. We see this every time. Any opportunity that these women get to turn in their fucking dirtbag husbands and boyfriends, stop being such dicks. I know. You know what I mean? Because the cops are saying, like, we got so many leads, we couldn't follow any of them. We got nothing from this. But it very often slows down the investigation when you do this. 100%. Like, it should have, that should have been a little later if you, I don't know. Not at all. I don't know. But no more clay busts (laughs) anywhere. I don't, I've never seen a clay bust like this what before. On earth? I know. Like a simple composite sketch would have been fine. And two of them, and it was just. It they was, were terrifying. It was so weird. And like just not helpful. No. You know what else is slowing down the investigation? Instead taking a composite sketch and having someone sit in a room. No, I'm not done yet. That's wasting valuable time. The thumbs. Right? I don't know. I've never made a clay bust before. Are you shocked? Nothing is helpful. And now years are going by. Yeah. Three years have gone by, nothing. No movement on the case at all. They say the next lead develops in 1981 in the Marion County Jail. (sighs) So we learn... A scuffle is breaking out on the floor between two inmates. One is this small, red-headed guy named Alan Pruitt. The other is James Freet. He's the older brother of Burger Chef victim Jane Freet. It's Jane, the manager's older brother. Yeah. Now, I got to tell you, when we see a picture of this guy, he kind of looks exactly like one of the clay bots. <laughs> I, like, went back. I was like, oh, shit. And, like, I don't think it ends up being this person. Yeah. But he really looks a lot like the clay bots. <laughs> I got to tell you. Go look at Aaron. Give it to us. I got to see it. You might be a little closer to calling in about Steve than you think. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing, honey. I'm just going to make another drink. Nothing. Hi, I know I'd like to re- I'd like to report a murderer. <laughs> you know that clay bust? Totally. Yeah, no, no, the clay T-I-P-T-O-N. bust. T I P T O N. That creepy ass clay bust Coming. on the news. I'm coming. I'll be right back, babe. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. That's just him. T I P T O N. No, he's a murderer. He's a murderer. I think he did it. Okay, gotta go. Okay, thanks. <laughs> I'm just waiting for them to put you on hold and then you just stand there. <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> Double Manhattan. No, coming right off, honey. No, 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 no. I'll be right there. Hurry up. <laughs> so a fight 
has broken out between this guy, James Freet, who's Jane, one of our victim's older brother, who's arrested on a substantial cocaine charge, and Alan Pruitt, the mechanic who was doing the donuts and ruining the eating experience at the drive-thru. Now, I know what happens when you look at me. You think, Patrick, you're gorgeous and smart. Yes, I do think that, actually. That didn't go as you thought it would, because I do think that about you. (laughs) You immediately connected the dots that this Alan Pruitt guy is the mechanic guy who's been with us from the beginning of this episode. It took me forever to Um. realize they were the same person. So remember in the beginning I said, like, this guy's not just a character. He actually is here for a reason. He's both. He's a character and he's here to talk. He's a character and... Totally. And he's a ginger and like the old picture of him is kind of cute. Yeah. And now it's kind of like, Alan, what happened? Now, everything we hear comes from Alan. (laughs) Take that with however many pounds of salt you'd like. The confrontation happens because Pruitt made some sort of comment to James. Sorry about your sister, essentially. Hey, sorry about your sister. And according to Alan, that makes James beat his ass in the prison. hell breaks loose. (laughs) And after that... So already, Alan, I don't really believe you. I know. Some, like the way <laughs> I know that things go south real fast in prison. I get that. I understand that things can get real bad real fast. You have fast. a really great understanding of prison culture, I will say. <laughs> Barely, as much as I possibly can. It was the way you said. <laughs> That's how it. <laughs> That's what it felt like. And then, <laughs> what? It's just one of those things where, like, somebody at one point was the first person to ever say that. I'll help you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And, like, they really nailed the description of right. what was unfolding in front of because them. Because it went from silent to, like, just plate, plates clamoring, just all screaming, all hell broke loose. No, <laughs> <laughs> Now, I don't think Alan was like, my my sincere condolences. No, I highly doubt. No, no, no. Now, could that could also any mention of James's sister after what horrible thing happened to her yes. trigger him to want to beat somebody up? Sure. Sure, absolutely. After being in prison, a thousand percent. And Alan's also one of those people who's been lying and like uh-huh. running his mouth his whole life, which totally. is a very, is not a great way to be. No. So no. after the fight, the melee on the fucking chow line or whatever... Alan Pruitt goes to the cops and says, oh, hey, by the way, I have information on the Burger Chef murders that happened three years ago. And I know I didn't go to you before, but now I have all this info. It, this doesn't make any sense to me because I thought, oh, he's going to now, now he's mad at the guy who just beat him up, who's the brother of one of the people who was killed in the murder. Yeah. So he's got information on this guy. Now he's mad at him. He's going to turn him in. That's not what happens. No. And yeah. So it's just totally random. Alan's story is... He was hammered. <laughs> I hadn't ate nothing all that day with a gut full of beer. Burger Chef looked like it was already closed. So we decided to go to Dunkin' Donuts, and the Dunkin' Donuts was right next to the Burger Chef. That beacon of light. Yes. Dunkin' Donuts. Yeah. Because Burger Chef is closed. Yes. So it's like now, a mirage. We, like, uh, I can't believe his eyes. We, <gasps> we learn that the Dunkin' Donuts and the Burger Chef are next to each other. And I said, that sounds beautiful. like quite a block. That's fucking that beautiful. That sounds like quite a block. Get dessert? I know. He goes, I didn't even really. A couple thin bergs I know. And, a, and dessert? What or are you like crazy? a bacon, egg, and cheese on a toast and everything bags. Okay. I'm just saying, I didn't even know Dunkin' Donuts existed in the 70s. Well, it did. I mean, and here we are. Right next to the Burger Chef. So <laughs> he Alan, had eaten nothing again, but beer all day. Hammered. Yes. Nothing but beer in his yes. stomach. Yes. Yes. No burger chef to be had. 
And he's outside having a cigarette. And he says, so remember, the Dunkin' Donuts is right next to the Burger Chef. And he says, I'm just standing out in front of the Dunkin' Donuts having my cigarette, and I see a like an orange van pull up. Right. So inside this orange van is Tim Willoughby. Yes. And Jeff Reed. And these are two fucking creeps. No matter which way you slice it, These they're are creeps. also new people. These, yeah. This is not, I was getting him a little confused with Jane's brother in the prison. No. Jane's brother in the prison does not come These back. are two brand new creeps. Yes. We've never met these creeps before. Yes. And Alan says, uh, creep one, Jeff, go goes into the burger chef and drags Mark out by his shirt and throws Mark into the van. Mark is the one of our victims who he was black and he was beaten severely and to death. Alan Pruitt, who's watching this, sees not a problem. Nothing, nothing wrong yet for Ma- Alan. Yep. Then out, same thing with Daniel Davis and yep. Ruth Shelton. Off they go into yeah. the orange death van and Alan's like, huh, smoking a cigarette, waiting yeah, for yeah. his fucking cheeseburger. Not cheeseburger. Bacon, egg, and... What'd you say? Wait, waiting for his bacon, egg, and cheese on a toast and everything bag. Okay, great. Sorry. <laughs> But, like, he's also saying, so he's watching these people being loaded into the van. Right. Then Jane, the sister of the guy he got into the fight with in, in the prison, comes out. I saw Tim Willoughby and Jane Freak come out the back door, and they were arguing with each other. She said something like, you mother. I never heard Jane ever cuss in her life. I thought, well, you know, maybe Jane stepped on somebody's toes and pissed them off. And they were out here, you know, settling the score. I didn't know anybody was being adapted. Alan looks at me straight in the face and says, I really didn't see a problem. Alan goes, he assumes that Jane, who he'd never heard curse before. Yeah, his friend. He yeah. described her as his friend. He's like, well, she must have pissed off the wrong people and they're settling yeah. the score. Anyway, I didn't think anyone was abducted. No. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I, I know, I know. They call her Sweet Jane. <laughs> they called her Sweet Jane. That's I a know. true thing. She I was know. so good in every sense of the word. She's the manager and she's screaming for her life, you fucking dummy. I know. And then you think she just messed with the wrong people and I didn't didn't see anything of it. He literally says, I didn't think anyone was being abducted. Alan, shut up. But also, did any of this happen? Exactly. You know what I mean? Because remember, he see like, and then, like, he's going to learn about the Burger Chef murders, like, any minute now, and he never goes to the cops. He does it until three years later. Right, because now Alan gets to be the star of these murders and not right. the victims and us finding justice. Now exactly. it has to be all about fucking Alan, because now he's telling everyone that he was the last person to see these four victims and the murderers. He knows everything. If you want to know anything about the Burger Chef murders, come to me, Alan. I'll tell you all about it. Yeah. He and thinks he's, it's a fucking party. And he's describing everybody involved. So he's saying that guy, Jeff and Tom, like they were yeah. super into the drug trade. And Jane, sweet Jane, the manager, she was also selling drugs, according to Alan Pruitt. Like, what? And then this is where I'm like, oh, come on, podcasters. Because they're like, <laughs> one of Jane's friends who isn't here. Yeah said that Jane was into drugs and got very involved with her brother and his drugs and this anonymous friend who we never meet or have any credibility at all paints a darker picture. I'm like, there's no proof of this whatsoever. What's happening is that the podcasters have talked to Alan Pruitt. They've gotten his story and they're trying to corroborate it. You can't just say shit about Mark and say shit about Jane because someone else down... It's like eight degrees of separation. Stop. And also, we're going to get so much on-screen text that I got a fucking hand cramp eventually (laughs) that says, like, none of this is corroborated. None of it. We don't know if any of this is true. And the thing is, no one else is saying that. We right. need the on-screen text to say it. Yeah. You have to preface this stuff with like, okay, here's our source. Super unreliable, but like this is what was going around at the time. Right. Give us context and say that because now you look like an idiot. 
Jim the cop does haul Alan Pruitt in for an interview. We hear the interview, it's taped, and Pruitt is saying to the cop, like, look, Jane, it was known that when she was managing the restaurant, she was also selling drugs for these people, and whenever she would, like, the drug people would come to either get their money or drugs, she would always come up short. So according to Pruitt, talking to the cops, Jane was always in trouble with these drug people, and that could be the motive for this murder. And now, I guess Brian heard this, Brian the kid who was out on a date and he's all grown up now, Yeah, he is here cooking and eating breakfast during his interview. He's gesturing with a piece of fucking bacon in his hand. I had the same note. And he goes, Jane was known to uh, vanish for a bit throughout the night. And he just gives us a gesture, meaning like, take that that how you will. That said, like, if Brian was there and he saw that, like, that is a firsthand account. But did he say that then or is he saying that now? I mean, who knows? That's the thing. Yeah. We don't, I don't have any timeline of who said what, when. Are they saying this because Alan told him that and then they're like, oh my God, that's what happened? And just have some kind of closure? Well. Or what? We also learned that, like, Pruitt told this story to the cops when he was in prison and he didn't get anything in return for this. The podcasters say, Alan Pruitt had very little to gain in going to the police with this story. He didn't get any big reward, and he also didn't ask for any time off. All of that makes him quite a credible witness. To them, that makes him a reliable witness here. Okay. But maybe he got out of his cell for a couple hours. You know what I mean? I don't know what he got. Yeah. I'm not getting any information here. Yeah. But it seems like we're doing a lot of speculating wildly. That's what it feels like Well, to me. and we get more of that because now we get more of Pruitt's story that the day after the murders, he's like standing back outside that Dunkin' Donuts. It's November 18th, 1978. Yeah, the guy still can't keep track of when Burger Chef is open. <laughs> he no. walks up, shit, just missed it again. <laughs> no, he goes across the street to the... It's actually the Dairy Queen. Oh, okay, so on this block, there's the Burger Chef, the Dunkin' Donuts, and the Dairy Queen. Why don't I live in we'll this town? have a place for me at the Dairy Queen. <laughs> But he's saying he's standing there and Tim Willoughby and Jeff Reed, the guys in the orange van from the night before, pull up. And in the van, in addition to the men, is a woman named Marianne Higginbotham. She's one of their girlfriends. One yes. of the creeps' girlfriends. And like Pruitt had described these guys as like the cool guys. They're not nice to him. Of but like he right. says to them in this moment, like, hey, what were you doing with the orange van? Are you the- those murderers from the night before? <laughs> right, exactly. Even though like today Alan claims that he didn't know they were abducted or murdered. Right. And then three years later he suddenly. So the story, like nothing. Nothing makes sense in his story. But, but his story continues that he gets in. The, they're like, hey, new friend we've never been nice to <laughs> you before. You know, Alan, I've always liked you. I know. And you know I what know else? I shoved your head in a toilet many a time, but <laughs> that's just how I show my love. It's my love language. He's like, I've got an orange van full of weed and beer. Do you want to yeah. go like drink and smoke? And Pruitt's like, yes, absolutely. Let's go do that absolutely right now. Absolutely, I do. So he gets in and he gets in the back seat with the girlfriend. The same orange van he saw four kids get dragged into and then never seen again. Exactly. That same fucking van. Alan is telling us this. I know, I know. want to go get drunk? and drive? Yeah, says Alan. Good choices all around. Idiot. God, these people. I know. So Alan gets into the van and according to Alan... I saw a nickel-plated 38 caliber revolver. Marianne seemed like she'd been crying and then she said, Alan, I think they're going to kill me. As Alan is telling the story, the boyfriend in the front is turning around and hitting her in the face. It's horrible. Now, he's really scared. They're driving into the middle of the fucking woods. Alan also sees a 38 caliber gun in the backseat, yes. the same as the murder weapon. Wouldn't right. you know it? So then, so then they get to a bridge in a creek, and the mean men in the front seat are like, everyone out. And Marianne is like, Alan, run for like, your fucking life. Like, save yourself? Right. But so he runs, and he, he he says he hears a gunshot, and then never sees Marianne again. And Alan's like, I is, oh, oh, are you trying to say that they killed Marianne? 
Marianne, I thought that gunshot was for me. But so what happens is that like seven months after this incident, in June of 1979, a kid is in the woods and he finds one of those like 50-gallon drum barrels yeah. or whatever. Oh my God, the murder drum. He opens it, finds a skull in there, and it's Marianne. I know. So, so like there is some truth to this story. Yes. Marianne was killed. She was shot in the head. But this is where we start to get the barrage of on-screen text that's, that's like, this story was never corroborated by anybody. They never sat down Tim or Jeff for an official interview. Also, you heard a gunshot. She said she was afraid for her life. You never saw her again. She's clearly a missing person and you didn't go to the cops? And also, like, so when are you, is he telling the story three years after the fact? Because he wouldn't find all that information in the paper. Ex- that's like, what I'm saying. Like, all that information exactly. would be out. It would be exactly. all over the news. So he would just be like, oh yeah, no, I was there. Right. So what Alan is saying is like, Marianne knew about the murders and the two creeps killed her to shut her up. But I'm like, Alan, let's say that were true for the sake of argument, right? Yeah. You saw them the night before, told them that you saw them the night before. Right. Asked about the abduction that you only now realize is an abduction, apparently. Right. And they just let you go. And also, they would have known that you would have heard the gunshot that she then died and then was missing for seven months before her body was found. Why would they let you live? Right. So if they if they really killed Marianne to shut her up about the murders, which right. may or may not be true, you also would not be alive. But the thing that is so crazy about this is like what is the point why is he telling this story yeah because he's not getting anything for I'm not saying that makes it true right no. I'm just saying like this could be what happened uh, yes it, it could be what happened but why would he make this up like this can I just sometimes people just want to be involved uh-huh. I mean honestly like sometimes now he gets to be the star of the Burger Chef story it's true it could be that simple that that's really all he wants that yeah. you know the Jane didn't like him now he gets to be a part of her story in some way like it might just be that but he it's might like, be a lonely, desperate guy. We get the cop, Jim, back, and he's like, just to be super clear, I tried to question these guys. We had nothing on Tim or Jeff. There's no way to connect them to the murder, and Marianne's murder is still unsolved. It's right. still an open and active case. So now, and then we get two stories, two split stories. We get Alan's story about his conversation with the cops and the cop's story about their conversation with Alan. <laughs> this is wild. Give me a fucking break. So Alan <laughs> goes... They wanted me to take a polygraph test, and I passed every question they asked with flying collars. We had him run on a polygraph and he didn't pass. I think he didn't pass because he wasn't telling the whole story. Cops gave me the sodium pentothal, which is a true serum. <laughs> well, that's a lie. That's funny. I've heard that before, actually. He literally says the cops gave him sodium pentothal, which I don't even know if that's a real thing. It's true, Sam. But no, I know that, but like th- that's not like a real thing that is actually used. Like that's like a that's like a fable. Yes, in real life, sure. Yeah, yeah. And so the cops are like, I'm sorry, he said what? The cop laughs. He's like, Oh, I've actually heard the truth I've serum. Heard, yeah, I've yeah. heard that line before. Is he still doing the truth serum thing? Yeah. <laughs> sodium pentothal, he says, huh? And he's like, No, he failed that fucking polygraph. Right. But it also like there was nothing to, to tie him to the murders either. So it's not like he's a suspect. He's but, just like a guy. Uh, you know, Jim, the cop is saying so like we believe that Alan Pruitt was there at that Dunkin Donuts that night is he a witness or is he a suspect we don't know yeah. and I'm kind of like Jim why are you asking me I don't know isn't that your fucking job because what why do I feel like I know more about this case than Jim does <laughs> I know. the truth serum again huh <laughs> totally. every time um, but also the two creeps never had an orange van or at least there was no like record of right, a van right. of, of either of them having a van that matched that description it's like the cops never found a van that uh-huh. was orange which is also like well two creeps are gonna creep and maybe Maybe they 
stole a van. Like, I don't know. It but- also just doesn't feel like the cops looked into this lead very thoroughly. No. You know what I mean? Because there's no way to prove that Pruitt is telling the truth. Right. So they try to track down the two creeps, and creep number one is on the run after stealing a bunch of cars. And yeah. I'm like, maybe that's where the fucking orange van went, everybody. I guess. Or not. So creep number two is Jeff, and he was still around. And they track him down, and he's about to be released from jail. Not prison, so I guess it was like a shorter term thing. Yeah. I and remember we- when you had to school me on the difference between prison and jail. <laughs> I still get it wrong to this day. It's just the shorter thing is jail, the There's long-term thing. There's something sweet sounding about like the county jail. It's like, I'm going to spend a night in the county jail. Chicago. Sounds nice. Yeah, I'm thinking about the Cook County Jail. I know. It's a little musical. So Jim Cramer, the detective, picks him up on his way out of jail and buys him breakfast. Shows him a very nice first morning on the outside. I knew he didn't have any money. I picked him up and I took him to get him breakfast to talk to him. We ate. I never accused him, but I told him, I think you're involved. He sat there and ate his meal. He never said one word. He didn't say, I didn't do this. I'm not involved. He didn't say a word. Steel Trap doesn't say a fucking word. Just enjoys his... But the, uh, once breakfast. again, there's no evidence anywhere that these guys were involved in anything. Yeah. And once again, there's no evidence of anything anywhere of anything. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, how is there not any evidence in any of these murders? Like, that fucking Marianne know. died. Yeah, I know. She was shot I know. in the head and put in a barrel in a river. I know. You know what I mean? Yeah, I don't know. It's maddening, and it's that that's what's, like, so heartbreaking about all this stuff. Well, it gets like... worse, because now we jump to November of 1989. It's 11 years <sighs> after the murders, and there's another bombshell. Oh, God. So this man, Donald Forrester, confesses to the murders, and we're told he is a man with a terror history. He's a very, 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 very scary, very violent rapist. Yeah, and he he got sentenced to 95 years for a kidnapping and rape. Bye. Yeah, but he apparently, he's now confessing to the Burger Chef murders, and we're again being told that he had information that only the killer would know. Yeah, remember the but happy like, face thing? But why do I have this information? I feel exactly. like all of this information that this like notorious rapist and kidnapper has, uh-huh. has all been in the public knowledge. Exactly, and they can use it to barter. You think they're not talking? You think there's not some network where prisoners are just like giving each other information to try to get off? Right. You know what I mean? And also, it's not his MO. Right. But like what happens is they take this guy, Donald Forrester, to the crime scene. He, according to the cops, demonstrates exactly where the bodies were and in what manner they were lying. And he gets that all right. Yep. He has a story that it was Jane, the manager. She was the one they wanted because she owed $15,000 in drug debt. Like, come on. You know, he's saying, I killed a guy named Danny and a girl named Ruth with a 38 caliber gun. Which is like, yes, that is their names and that is the gun. But isn't that the first fact reported by the right. news? Yeah. And this is 11 years after the murders. Right. So I'm like, like, this is not like days or weeks yeah. after. Like, this is a well-known, open, unsolved case. Right. And also remember what you were saying, like, maybe he just got some time outside. He takes the cops yes. to where he supposedly threw the shell casings down his septic tank, which means that the cops are literally looking through shit. It's an incredible scene to picture. These detectives literally digging in Phil. Sheriff's Department worked with Forrester. They went to this residence where he had flushed the shell casings, and they actually did recover uh, shell casings. However, they were the wrong caliber. Great news, right? No, wrong, because they were 22s and the murder weapon was 38. Exactly. Amazing. That's when they're saying his whole story is just falling apart. And we learn that the local sheriff had said to this Donald Forrester guy, hey, if you can solve the Burger Chef case, we'll reduce your sentence. So he's just saying whatever he can think of. And like he can read people. So I'm sure it's one of those things where if you go to one of those psychics where it's just like, do you know someone named 
G in your life and you're like, oh my God. Or, you know, or if they're yeah, like, yeah, do you yeah. know someone named J? And you'd be like, no, but I do know a G. Right. Then yeah. they're off and running. <laughs> People always spell Jillian's name with a J, but it's not you, psychic. And they're like, oh, okay, so we know. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, just yeah, like yeah, you can yeah. sort of like lead people to where you want them to be and you get right. to be outside for a little bit and there you go. And then like weirdly And this... it's fun for these fucking sociopaths, you totally. know? Like it's totally. just like giving people hope and taking it away. They love that shit. But like this is where it just ends. Like we just learned that like shockingly the Burger Chef location loses business and it has to close. And the whole chain shut down in 1982. Yeah, sold to Hardee's or whatever. And like there's no movement in this case. Yeah. Can we do anything about it? Can we like speak up a little bit? I just I just feel like this feels solvable to me. Do you think anything that Alan said was true? Like, do you think there's any any connection? Like, here's what I was thinking when I was watching him tell the story. He didn't sound like he was searching for... Ex- it sounded like he was telling us a memory. Okay, that's fair. But, like, some of it could be real. Maybe he's told the story a thousand times, but you know you can tell when someone's kind of making up a story right. versus, like, remembering a story. Yeah. I got more of a remembering a story vibe. And it's also decades ago. Exactly. Memories cha- People exactly. forget. Memories exactly. change. And then maybe your memory is not really what happened. Yeah. You know, like, your yes. memory is just the story you've been telling for 50 years. Exactly. Who knows? Hardee's, did you say it turned into? <laughs> I did. I don't even know what that is. Who goes to Hardee's? We're going to get emails well, about that. We're about to find out who well, goes. Well, if you go, well, sometimes it's regional. I can't, <laughs> I can't have been born everywhere, everybody. This is a pizza ranch situation if ever I heard Maybe. one. Maybe. <laughs> what are their politics? <laughs> Girl, we did it. What's it called? It's called uh, Murders at the Burger Joint. Murders at the Burger Joint. Fam, I am going to be in Philly and D.C. this weekend. Thursday in Philly, D.C. on Saturday. Traveling book party. It's going so well. Oh my God, it's, it's so it's, fun. I'm so excited and so proud. I Thank you so much. Remember when you came to the New York one? I do remember that. <laughs> we're making it up because it hasn't happened yeah, yet. Yeah, we're doing that thing. <laughs> we're in a time machine again. Past, totally, present, totally. future, the whole thing. Come to Obsessed Fest. Join us on the Patreon. There's yeah. so much more ways you can connect with Jillian and me. So many things to do. So much fun. We try to give you as much as we possibly can. It's true. You know? Uh, what are we doing next, speaking oh, of? girl. What is it? Oh, God. What is it? I love it when I get one of those. The bling ring on Netflix. <gasps> oh, we're doing that. Oh, my God. <laughs> so it's three apps. We're doing it in two. You know how it Holy goes. Holy moly. It is fucking insane. Oh, my God. And I just think of that moment from the trailer. I want to rob. Remember that? Uncut Jams. It is a wild fucking ride. Talk about two unreliable narrators, uh, but you're going to love it. You're going to hate it. It's going to be a wild. Oh, I can't wait. Do you wait. remember when this was a thing, the bling ring? I know that, like, that expression bling ring. They so, like broke into Paris's house and Lindsay oh. Lohan's house. They were like going to Paris's house like a lot. They were like, let's go shopping. And they like break into Paris Hilton's house what? and steal all her shit. Oh, oh. yeah. Orlando Bloom's here. It's like, oh. Oh my God. It is, a, it is weird, wild stuff. So all right. stay tuned. Stay tuned for the trailer for that. Our funny and hilarious outtakes. And we love you. We love you. We'll see you later. All right, bye. Bye. Nick Prugo and Alexis Nyers were members of a burglary ring that targeted Paris Hilton, Orlando Bloom, and other A-list stars. It was like they went shopping in my closet. The defendants want to be famous. The attorneys want to be famous. It's like a f***ed up L.A. Greek tragedy. I've always been the type of person to kind of do whatever I had to get what I wanted, but I never thought in my wildest dreams that it would reach the level of criminality that it did. We were constantly going to Paris's house. It was like our personal ATM. After my house was broken into, I was the most terrified I've ever been in my entire life. They made me the bling ring leader. It's just totally not based in any reality. Get attention no matter how you get it and you will become a celebrity.
I gotta tell you quickly, we see an old-timey, like, news conference with Jim from, like, back in the day, and yeah. he was super foxy. Oh, great. Very, very foxy. Cool. Moving on. Yeah. <laughs> so, you got a dog name. I got a foxy cop. Let's just keep going. That was a great scene for both of us. <laughs> you got a lot done. <laughs> we, we really did. We did not solve the murder. No. But we did. Thanks, Discovery Contribute Plus. in our own Again, thanks for listening. Yeah. <laughs> he asked for so little. <laughs> I don't know what happened to my key change. Okay, thanks, TikTok. You're welcome, I mean. So, Jim Kramer. Thank you so much. I mean, you're welcome. What's going on with me? Still on island time. 